Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show, Jeremy and Gretchen. Welcome. Hey. Hello. So how's your week going? Eh. Meh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It seems to be. You didn't have to copy me. (laughs) Not the greatest. Unless you're having the same week, you know. So, kind (laughs) of. So, next week is the Game Developers Conference. We're looking forward to covering that, and it's going to be a fun one. We're going to be doing it virtually again this year. It's just how it worked out. Definitely looking to be there in person next year. I kind of wish we were now, but it's still going to be a fun one. They've got a lot of good information that comes out of that. And what this is, it's a convention that's held every year in San Francisco. And they offer the latest stuff, if you will, on video games and the gaming industry in general. But by stuff, I don't mean just new games coming out. That's certainly part of it. But it's also the technology behind it. So the 3D rendering, graphics cards, different consoles, all that kind of stuff, what's going to be new, what's coming up in the future. And since Metaverse is becoming such a big part of everything in the gaming industry now. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that, virtual reality, these type of things. It's really coming into its own this year. Being someone that owns a house now in the metaverse, I can tell you it actually is a lot of fun. Okay. But, uh, I'm still trying to join my crime family, but, uh, you know, each, huh. each his own, I suppose, right? Sure. Uh, but in all seriousness, there's a lot of... It's kind of a new realm, and there's not a lot of regulation, which in some ways is good, in some ways is causing some problems, but definitely something that I think a lot of these different companies are going to be developing for. We're going to be talking about NFTs a little later in the show, and some of that that's coming to the metaverse, and the ability to buy different things using that format. So there's definitely an integration there. So we'll talk about that and everything else that we see at the Game Developers Conference next week. So what do we have in the news this week? Disney Plus and HBO Max to merge. Yeah, we've got a Mm. lot of questions on this. So the background of this, which is actually important to know. Oh, I'm sorry. I I said it wrong. It's Discovery Plus and HBO Max to merge. Okay, good. I didn't hear what you said. So (laughs) (laughs) Because I I think we'd have some Disney execs calling up going, what the hell? Oh, Disney. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. No, this would be Discovery Plus and uh, HBO Max to merge. Yeah, that that, that would be a bigger deal. No. um, So what's going on here is a while back, AT&T bought HBO or Warner Media for some reason. And uh, which is some a reason that's not really, I think, understood completely. They've given some explanations, but even their own board didn't know what to do with it. And during the time they had it, it lost about a third of its value. Maybe it was an impulse buy while in the shopping market. A $50 billion impulse buy. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, possible. Sure. Hey, you know, each his own, right? So, but anyway, so they owned this for a while. And Warner has a wonderful catalog of properties and different things. But they weren't really able to do a lot with it, so they decided that, to spin it off. This happened early part of last year. Now, Discovery Networks, Discovery owns channels like HGTV and does all the fixer shows, flip shows, that kind of a thing. That's their area. They've had a streaming service for a while now called Discovery Plus. It's something that I use, but I like those kind of shows. But it's something that's very limited to just that audience. So the idea here is by putting these two companies together, they're going to be able to offer the combination of both of their franchises. 
Hmm. And Discovery Warner, which is the name of the merged company, is going to be combining the apps Discovery Plus and HBO Max into one application. And uh, this will be kind of cool. I'm looking forward to it. I hear they're going to have some great launch franchise movies and things that are coming out when they do that to celebrate it. And along with that, you'll be able to get to both ends of the spectrum from just one set of software. Now, I don't know yet if they're going to be raising fees or anything like that. But at the end of the day, it will allow you to have access to more. I would say plan on it. How much is Discovery Plus? Uh, $4.95, I think. Oh, okay. $4.95 a month. And, um, you know, so it's not super expensive, but these things are going up. And with the announcement from Disney, the real Disney earlier this week, when they were asked about Disney Plus and the CEOs, oh, yeah, we're going to be raising those fees up the, you know, whatever in the next few years, uh, that they think it's really, uh, they charge too little for the value of what it is in their opinion. Netflix has raised their fees. Google Prime has raised their fee, or I'm sorry, Amazon Prime has raised their fees. So we're definitely going to see an increase. Hmm. Big ISPs avoided the 2020 law banning predatory modem rental fees by simply calling them something else. Yeah, this is a little bit ludicrous. It is, but what we're talking about here is that the internet service providers want to charge a fee for renting you their equipment. And then Mm -hmm. as a discount on it, a lot of times if you sign a contract or that kind of a thing, you will get the fee reduced or removed or something, you know, but you have to sign up for a year. So that's what this is basically talking about. And they put a ban on these fees, but in order to get around it, they're now calling it an infrastructure access charge or a maintenance fee or some other such thing. A router fee was one of the more interesting ones, whether or not you're renting a router. That was from Frontier. So... At the end of the day, that's kind of what they're doing. So they're trying to address this now. What I ended up doing on my end is I just bought my cable modem. Uh, you can order one. You just need to make sure it's compatible and the speed that you need. And I don't pay the rental fee because I just use that. Of course, I had to buy it. But after about six months, the difference paid for it. And then anything after that, you're making money. Uber charging customers new fuel fee for rides and delivery. Yeah, I think we kind of knew this was coming. Yeah. Get fuel surcharge. Yeah, with the price of gas going up so much right now, a lot of these companies that rely on an Uber being one of them, but really anything like your DoorDash or grocery delivery or any kind of delivery is seeing a huge, huge raise in their fuel costs. Mm-hmm. So they're calling this temporary. It's 45 cents or 55 cents for each Uber trip and either 35 cents or 45 cents for each Uber Eats order. It depends on the location. It will be added to your overall bill. They're going to say it's going to be in effect for at least 60 days, after which they will reassess the situation. And right now, it does not look like we're going to be seeing any kind of a a reduction in fuel fees anytime soon. But, you know, summer driving season, it goes up anyway. And the price of oil has backed off of what it was a week ago a little bit. But we're still dealing with a lot of problems in, in the world that could be running all of this up. So in any event, that's what's happening. Hmm. <laughs> I like how this is worded. Saddle up, sci-fi cowboys. Kawasaki has a rideable robotic goat. Okay, so the the question would be why a little bit. Yeah, know? well, yeah, of course. Yeah, that just sounds weird. Even the cat was shaking yeah, her head. Yeah. Like, what's I, that? Yeah, what's that for? You know, it's uh, <laughs> um, the, the goat's name is Bex, B-E-X. Mm-hmm. And it's a device that is, a, you sit on it, it's able to 
stand up. It's got articulated legs and feet and everything like that. And you actually can ride it around. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing. They are working on it, Kawasaki, through a portion of their company called the Robust Humanoid Platform. Mm-hmm. And this is something they've had since 2015, so it's going on seven years old now. And they do actually have some robots that are very much human-shaped and have the look and feel of all of that. But that's what this is. And I know we've seen stuff like this with Boston Dynamics and other companies, right. but this is the first one that you can actually ride. So I think this is probably a proof-of-concept situation as opposed to something you're going to be able to buy at Walmart anytime soon. But it's right. still kind of cool. Ford will introduce seven new electric vehicles in Europe by 2024. Yeah, the EV thing is moving ahead here, and especially with the high gas prices, is really starting to. In fact, I was just talking to the Nissan dealership yesterday. I'm looking at getting a daily driver myself and asked about their electric vehicles, and uh, they don't have them in stock. It's like you have to order them if you can get one far out, and everybody's looking to get them and all of that type of a thing. And the reality of the situation is is these have been getting better. Of course, Tesla has some of the most luxurious EVs on the market. Of course. are just fun to drive and sit in, and it feels like you're flying a spaceship, you know. But there are other companies coming out with these, and, and a lot of them have. I mean, EVs have been on the market, Ford, Nissan, and other companies for many years now. But they're getting into the space where they're doing medium-sized sport models, even vans. Volkswagen is coming out with a new version of their 60s van. Uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. call it the baby maker, if you remember back to those, that is an all-electric vehicle. So these are out there, and they're definitely starting to take their own. And the bottom line of this type of technology is that I've always said I like electric vehicles, but I think they still have some bugs to get worked out. If it, one of my big barriers to entry was the disposal of the batteries. But it looks like technology is changing on that, where they're starting to be able to come up with at least a system to recycle. They don't yet, but they're getting there. And some new technologies for the batteries themselves that will make that a little bit easier. We've got a great show for you this week. Stay tuned. We will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've had a lot of listener questions come in about drones. Drones are those aircraft that you can fly by remote and other things that we've been hearing a lot about lately. And it's interesting to look at some of this technology because there's a lot more to this than you might think. Now, Jeremy and Gretchen, have you ever actually flown a drone? Well, not what I consider to be a drone. Uh, I've done RC or attempted to make an RC helicopter work, but um, uh, an actual drone, which I consider to be something that would fly away and it wouldn't be line of sight. Is that what you guys are saying? Well, yeah. So the definition of a drone, and this is a good place to start, is a flying robot that can be remotely controlled or flown autonomously through software controlled flight plans in their embedded systems. So they work in conjunction with onboard sensors, GPS, that type of thing. At least that's the definition according to Internet of Things agenda. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, something that is remotely controlled would fall under that classification. 
Okay. Right. So the all the little you know plastic helicopters and whatnot are not con- actually drones because I'm manually flying it. Yeah, but it's still remotely controlled. Well, yeah, but our RC car would then be a drone too. Yeah, but I think they have yeah. to, they have to fly a flying robot. Okay. Well. Hmm. So, <laughs> but in any event, yeah, it, it's actually a good point to discuss because. That is one thing that a lot of questions have come in on, and that's why I wanted to get that is the that is the official definition. Okay. So where you might take that or not take that is um, kind of up to you, you know. So wait a minute, I have a question. There are people who do RC um, planes a lot, and they control what the plane does. Right. Uh, do they need to get that thing? There was like a license requirement for the drone people. Yeah, and that is now our. <laughs> There's a you know, yeah, that and the, the we'll get actually into the licensing requirements in a little bit here, um, and go over that. But yeah, you're right. There's requirements now for um, being able to fly a drone. You need a, a pilot's license to be able to. But do what that. about the RC people? Right, and that's you know that's a good question. Like I said, we'll get into that in a few minutes. Okay, uh, when we go into the licensing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, one of the first things though that's interesting is how old. Drones are. They've been used by the military since the mid 1850s. Ah, huh. 18. Wait, eight, how do you yeah, have yeah, a drone in 1850? Yep, yep. How could you have a drone in 1850? We didn't have GPS, at least as far as I know. And um, those type of technologies were out there. But Austria attacked Vince, uh, Venice, rather, Italy, using balloons stuffed with explosives. Okay, that is that was, technically that, a drone? That was technically considered the very first known use of drones. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. You know, not electronic, mm. but uh, but was out there. One of the first quadcopters uh, with the four um, things that it flies on appeared in the early 1900s. So this is not that new of a technology. Hmm. You know, okay. I don't know. I think I have a different idea of what a drone is. Me too. Um, because even, um, well, look at the the characters in Star Trek. The um the Borgs were considered drones. True. Okay. Well, they were called drones. Called drones. Yeah. Necessarily f- I'm not so, sure I get the connection. Well, well, those were human beings that were modified walking around. Right. They remotely, didn't fly. They were yeah. They didn't fly. They were just remotely controlled. So people. I'm I'm having a hard time with the definition here. <laughs> well, I think okay. Now, there, of course, there's different definitions of words in sci-fi than in reality. You know. And True. I think that this might be one of them when it comes down to it from that kind of a comparison. Because, again, we're just talking about aircraft that's unmanned, basically. Can be okay, that, remotely. that I can take. You know, yeah, so anyway. Unmanned. But anyway, hmm. so anyway, the, the modern era of drones that we think about, and probably what you're thinking about with this, has been a lot more recent. Really, development started in the early 90s. And... These are the type of drones that we see now. Military use is still very much something that takes advantage of this type of technology. But we're seeing a lot more in the civilian world, too, for weather reporting is one big one, that kind of a thing. Some of the other more unique implementations of this is Amazon's Prime Air that wants to deliver your packages to your house using a drone. Have they been successful with that? Uh, They've been successful in testing. It has not been something that has been done on a wide basis yet, but uh, they were able to successfully take the package, deliver it, that type of a thing. Uh, it did work. 
but it um, was something I think that they still need to work out some of the bugs. Hmm. But they are expecting us to see a lot more of these in the next few years. It's coming up. Uh, crowd control situations. I know a big place where they're used now is for selling your house. They fly oh, up yeah. and take the overhead pictures of the house and in television production and stuff, just the same. Some of those things are really nice. Oh, yeah. You know, to be able to get views that you wouldn't normally have otherwise is uh, is really kind of cool, you know, from that standpoint. There is a lot of controversy of these, especially when people fly them over places like your home or something like that. And that is where we get into the question of licensing and that type of a thing. So what they've done is they've come up with a requirement. You have to register your drone, and that costs $5 for three years. Okay. You can use the same registration on multiple devices, and hmm. you can do that online. And in order to uh, fly it legally, you have to have a license where you take a test, and the test is free. It takes about 15 to 30 minutes to take. And that's Interesting. So that's what's out there. You know, that's uh, 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 what it is. And the real answer to that is everyone needs a drone certificate to fly a drone, regardless of whether they are flying recreationally or commercially. So, Gretchen, that answers your RC question. Yeah. So now RC, RC planes are now considered. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, it falls under something called Part 107. There's all kinds of information about that online so that you can go and, and deal with this and, and see what it is. Now, I know a big part of the concern about this is getting these into flight paths, privacy concerns flying your, because most uh, drones are equipped with cameras nowadays, so flying it up to somebody's window, you know, that kind of a thing. And these are some issues that are addressed by having the license and being able to deal with it that way. And some of the more unique applications along the positive side of those lines is things like thermal imaging in drones. Mm. So you can actually fly over and see what's going on. Uh, they're getting to a point where they're talking about some form of, it would be like ground penetrating radar or something along those lines is in development to be able to see under the ground from your drone. Like LIDAR? Uh, like that kind of an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know yeah, if it's you, the same technology, but. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the TV shows that we've seen the, where they do, they just mount it to a helicopter or something. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's different. So, That'd be cool. But anyway, so, you know, all of that is definitely a part of this. And when you think about it, it's really a unique new technology. Now, I tried to fly one. I was not successful. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> uh, neither was I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a story in of itself. We, we, we got to, I, I got it off the ground, but that was about it. I'm just glad I didn't spend a lot of money on mine. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> so, But a lot of people enjoy these. It's a lot of fun. And like the RC cars and things is an area that you can spend a lot of money custom designing, building, and all that kind of stuff and getting equipment that is a lot of fun and really cool to use and is a full-on hobby. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers. Send us your questions, 503-766-6264, One User-Friendly on Facebook and Twitter. Any of those places are a good place to send in your questions. What do we have this week? Is it true I can use my iPhone with my mask? 
interesting question on the face of it. It's kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, why is it is it too muffled? Is their speaker so is their microphone so like sensitive that you couldn't use it with a mask? Right. And, you know, that's what comes to mind. I talked to the listener about this, and what they're actually talking about is a feature that allows you to unlock your phone ah. using facial oh. recognition while you're wearing your mask. Okay. okay. Well, that and makes sense. An update that's uh, just come out does allow you to do that. They've added the feature. Beforehand, you would have to use your iWatch or another hmm. method to unlock the phone, and now this will work just in time for the mask mandates to go away. You have that capability, but yeah, this will actually <laughs> be usable for a, for a lot of people. You know, you still need them in the healthcare, and who knows what's going to happen in the future. So an interesting yeah. feature, but yeah, it does work, and you are actually able to do that. Hmm. Okay. How did Russia block the internet? Well, I think for starters, they didn't do it well. So what this is in reference to with the war in Ukraine, Russia has been wanting to cut off media that's outside of their control. So in Russia, even mentioning the word war is 15 years in jail. There's this law they passed for what Putin's called wow. fake news and on and on. So in any event, um, that's where this comes from. And so what they've done is they've set up routers and firewalls and other things. It's kind of, a, in a way, a bad copy of what we call the Great Firewall of China that does work for these things. Uh-huh. And what it does is it works by throttling things so that the speed is so low that it doesn't work. So you go to Facebook, you can't get on because it doesn't respond, that kind of a thing. However, there's a lot of ways around this, VPNs being one of them, and VPNs, at least at this point, are not illegal in Russia. Some of those things still will operate and can get you around it. And doing that actually isn't illegal. It's just reading the news is. So we'll have to <laughs> see what that what they end up doing if they try to lock it down more. But their ability to block is very leaky. Wow. Hmm. So I guess if you have a poster with the word war on it, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. yeah especially if Nifty. you jump on a live news broadcast with a poster uh-huh. behind the uh, you know, broadcaster. So, yeah. 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 That's is it true that the New York Stock Exchange is adding an NFT market? Yes, uh, non-fungible, fungible, fungible token. Fungible, yeah, non-fungible yeah. token. I'm still working on that second word, but anyway, it, yes, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. But yes, uh, in fact, they have already added it, and they interesting started this up a little while ago, and they're selling some different things. It looks like related to digital music and some products like that right now. <laughs> But as long as this is the thing that makes money, there's going to be a lot of organizations, especially like that, that will do it. <laughs> Can you buy NFTs on Instagram? Yeah, right on the subject here, this is actually coming. So right now, as of today, I do not believe that you can go out and do that. However, you will be able to in the very near future. Zuckerberg was talking at uh, South by Southwest, which is a big trade technology show about this and adding it for the metaverse and some other things so that what they want to do with it is something along the idea that you're in the metaverse, your avatar wants to buy new clothing, you would use an NFT to buy the clothing, and that would be what you'd wear, that, that kind of an idea. Hmm, okay. Do 3D printers require a human to operate? So, Gretchen, what do you think the answer to this is? No, because I—I I, I mean, yes, because you need the human to put that that reel of filament in, and then then snake it through, and then scrape off the stuff that doesn't work right. I mean, I've seen Jeremy I, <laughs> deal with his three D printer a lot. Yes, it it absolutely one hundred percent requires a human to operate. 
unless you have uh, three robots to be able to do all the extra work. Well, because I'll, you, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Ford would disagree with you because they're doing exactly uh, that, Jeremy. They okay. have the robots now designed to be able to operate the 3D printer on the production floor. Okay. And but that's probably a special 3D printer just for those robots to use. Yeah, and it's a special robot as well, I'm sure. You know, yeah. They're designed to work together, obviously. So we can't grab these robots and have them work Jeremy's 3D printer. Now, the, the system uh, uses carbon 3D printers. Okay. And then KUKA, K-U-K-A, I hope I'm saying that right, built robots. Mm. Okay. That can't, they can talk to each other in the same language, and then that way they interface together and they're able to work. So, yeah, mm. that's how this works. And uh, Nifty. robots are going to take over for our, doing our 3D printers. Yeah, we'll see. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Our guest today is joining us all the way from Germany. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Joanna Renoff. I'm calling from Germany, and I am here to talk about digital wellness and how you can create a better relationship with your phone and social media. All right, so let's go ahead and jump right into that. What is digital wellness? All right, so digital wellness to me is a state when the technology you use is actually in support of you in your life. Because I feel like right now, a lot of us are really struggling with how much time we're spending on social media and, you know, how often we get notifications from our phones. That can be really disruptive and distracting. And my work is here to help you just get, get more zen with that, you know, create a relationship around that that actually feels good. So I know one thing that I've run into all the time is, mm-hmm. is there are times that I, I, I admit I do the evil, I turn my phone off. And I actually have people get mad at me for doing that, you know. So what do you what do you suggest? What is some what are some good techniques to be able to manage that? Yeah, wonderful. So I think the easiest thing to do is um, go to the settings in your phone and really look at which notifications you need. I have turned off all of them. Uh, I'm actually a bit closer to you in phone management, um, I think, than most people, William. So I actually put it on airplane mode a lot too. But if that's not realistic, the first thing, the easiest thing you can do is just turn off all notifications from apps and you know companies, whatever you have on your phone that you don't need, because you kind of don't really need to be notified when somebody likes a photo on Instagram. That can be super disruptive, and it opens up this whole struggle I find in our minds where you know we know we kind of don't want to check, but then we see that somebody commented, and you know soon as you have to start willpower, it's basically already a losing game because it's in your mind and you're really tempted to look. So I would say that's the easiest thing people can do. And it it takes less than a minute if you know where to look. So do right. that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a good start. And you know, you talk about mm-hmm. social media. I know this is something I've run into as well, where you'll mm-hmm. get on uh, somebody's posted whatever, and then by default, it emails and texts and, and puts a notification and all the rest of that. So you go on to look at it, oh, what's important, you know, with their cat picture of the day or whatever. And then an hour <laughs> later, you're still on Facebook, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so screen time management is another thing that our listeners talk about mm-hmm. and ask about, especially with kids and, and everything yeah. else. And I know there's some timers and things. What are some suggestions for that? 
Yeah. So I, I mean, the first, one of the first things you can do is for either an Android phone and an iPhone, there are now settings that let you see um, the time, the usage time that you have, and you can put limits on certain apps. So for instance, I have that for Instagram. And it reminds me when I've been on Instagram for 15 minutes, a blank window pops up and tells me you've used up your five, 15 minutes. Do you want to keep scrolling or are you done for the day? And even that already helps you a little bit just getting out of that, you know, mental, I find that, you know, we get really sucked in just the way you described, you want to look up something for five minutes, and then, you know, whoops, an hour lapses, and you don't even know what you were doing. So having that interrupter can already help you, you know, pull you out of that, you know, sort of brain, I don't know, brain zombie mode. Um, But if that's not enough, and especially if you have kids, you can also use blocking tools. And I also use those. Um, They're very effective because you can basically block any and all websites for certain amounts of time during the day. You know, you can set the settings in a way where it's almost impossible, for instance, for you to go around the block and access Facebook. Um, and those are, I would say, one of them is freedom.to. Another one is called cold turkey. They're both really effective and really override that urge to just, you know, go on whichever app it is. And then additionally, you can also use them as protection for your children. Now that, that absolutely totally makes sense. And that's a, that's a definitely a good direction to go to be able to use mm. digital, to be able to manage digital makes a lot of sense. Now, Let's look at it from the other way. I mean, Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of social media, I think there's some valid uses for it too. So Absolutely. What do you consider a normal amount of time that you would spend a day on it? I mean, 15 minutes, an hour, eight hours? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that question. Um, I think it really depends on the person and and how you use it. So if you it's a bit different, for instance, if you use it for work, you know, if you're a digital entrepreneur and you have to do things on Instagram, maybe you will spend a little bit more time than just the average, you know, user who wants to look up their favorite account. But I would say, um, I found a study recently that said on average that people spend up to five or, you know, on average spend five hours um, per day on apps and their phones. And that's too much, you know, even even if you do good stuff with it, that's just, you know, consider how much lifetime that is that you're on your phone. So I would say, um, get intentional first with how much time feels good to you, you know, um, and what value you get out of it. And then start creating those boundaries for yourself. Because also, if you're Gen Z and you're a boomer, your ideas of good phone use will be, you know, wildly different. And I don't think we can make blanket statements like that. But what really matters is that we're intentional. And I think so far, why it's been so hard to be intentional is we stumbled into this era of social media. And in the beginning, everything was new and exciting. And we sort of slid into this world now that's sort of really challenging to navigate for us. And the first things we need to do are put boundaries around our use and then boundaries around our devices and how they can access us. You know, and another thing I would ask, too, is is as you're putting mm-hmm. all of that together, and I don't know, if you, if you disagree with the statement, please say so, but it seems <laughs> like social media, a lot of these games that we have on our tablets, all those different kind of things are actually designed to keep you online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is, this is not, I mean, this has been known for a while now. Um, I know it used to sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory, but it really isn't. 
because the business models of companies like Facebook, for instance, are to keep you engaged as long as possible because they want to harvest your data so they can create a better profile of you and then sell a more accurate profile of somebody you know like you or in the same um, demographic um, bracket as you to advertisers. So, and then also the more time you spend, the more ads you see and the more likely you are to buy. So there's really also a limitation to things like blocking tools that we take because we are dealing with a technology that's not really supportive of us wanting time away and time off from our phones. Yep. No, that totally makes sense. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. As always, a great show this week. This is user-friendly. I do think digital wellness is an issue, and she really explains all of that well, dealing with the different things. And the idea, and I think it's kind of obvious in a way, if you think about it, but that most of your free-to-play games, we've talked about that, and social media apps and all that type of thing, are not really designed to control your screen time. They're designed to increase it. So I guess that's a control. It's just the wrong way. Yeah, well, you know, they and they want to be able to make all their money and everything. So, you know. You know, it's kind of funny. I've got this piece of software that's a plug-in on my browser. And when you go to sites like Facebook, it pops up. You could save an hour a day blocking this site. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> Only an hour, huh? Wow. Only an hour, you know. Yes, that may or may not be the case. But, uh, but there you are. So, movie that's come out, Turning Red. You guys have watched it. I haven't. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I really liked it. Um... Uh, you know, recently we've had like an influx of like films that are kind of like thrust to forward to, oh, have more women or have more of this or have more of that. And some of those feel very contrived. This one doesn't. This one is very natural, very organic, very real. And, um, I, I it, it was really well done. It was well written. Now, Jeremy, is- what'd you think? Okay. Well, it, it, the, the synopsis is Miley is a 13-year-old girl torn between being her mother's obedient daughter and the chaos of being young. She's 13, you know, so. But I think a lot of people <laughs> can relate to the idea of trying to be perfect for others mm-hmm. and fighting that battle of perfection that, that somebody has put upon you. And it's a really good story. Yeah, the animation is really nice. I mean... The computer systems are just getting so good, and it's the the animation is good, the voice acting is good, mm-hmm. the special effects are amazing. Yeah, hey, you know, like hey, this is cool. So this is you, you, this is Pixar, right? Yeah. yeah so it's okay. on uh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. So it's a Disney Pixar film. Um, it's about an Asian Canadian family. It's really well done. It really is. And and if you uh, are a was it plushy? No, furry. No, furry. If you're a furry, you're probably going to like it, too. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Uh, no, that's, uh, that makes sense. So, If I went to a furry convention, I would expect to see lots of these red pandas show up. <laughs> yeah. Now, that sounds interesting. All right. We'll have to, have to check it out. Now, does it cost extra or is it part of the Disney Plus subscription? No, it's just, it's just part of the Disney Plus subscription fee. So okay. it's already there. I mean, it's already there's no extra fees or anything. And it was just kind of like, 
it was really cute. And there's a, a making of featurette and stuff. So you can watch all that the cool talks stuff. about all the ladies that were involved in there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, pretty good. It was cute. No, it definitely sounds like something. All right. I'll check it out and let you know what I think. And there we are next week. We will be covering the game developers conference. And until then, this is user friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User friendly 2.0 copyright 2014 to 2022 user friendly media group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the user-friendly media group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.